You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 70 of Tax Talks. This is Heidi Robson. The SMSF industry is going through a lot of change and we have already come a long way if you think about how we managed SMSFs 10 years ago. The change is amazing. Aaron Dunn of Smarter SMSF is an active voice in the industry. He runs the Smarter SMSF podcast and is a regular presenter at industry events. So I was keen to get his insights into where he sees us heading. My question to Aaron is, what does a modern SMSF practice look like? Here's Aaron. So a modern SMSF practice is a practice that's going through substantial change. And from that point of view, we've seen superannuation reforms, of course, from the 1st of July 2017. We've seen regulatory change happen. The fact that back in 2013 and it it kicked off in 2016, the need for accounts to be licensed. We've had future financial advice reforms. We've got FASIA requirements, so the new education requirements that will be coming into the future. So there's all this ongoing change that needs to happen. And then we layer on top of that technology and just how much that is having an influence in um, the sector. So it's all those things that really are culminating in the way in which a practice needs to look at how they do things differently in the future, but importantly, as a footprint to be able to be successful. And there are many practices now that have grown specialist businesses, so specialist SMSF businesses, either standalone or divisions, but we've all got the same technology. There's fantastic technology in this industry, and we're at the class conference here, that really talks about how you can embrace that technology, but for many practices, technology is only the one part. And what we've found in our Future of SMSF survey this year is that we're using new technology but using old methodology, and that's part of the fact that we need to take a more iterative approach to thinking and the way we go about doing things because technology is growing at such a rapid rate that our organisational change can't really adapt to it. So how do we actually change what we do in our organisation to make sure that we're successful in the future? And I don't actually think that technology is the same, that we're all using the same technology. Yeah. We are, you're right, we are all using the same technology, but the the reason is because we are all still fairly only scraping at what technology can do. Yeah. So we're all using Zero, we are all use or MYOB, we are all using MBGL or class, but that's only scraping at the surface. Yeah. And I think once we really dive in, and I think um, specialization will come with that, mm. once we really dive in and we get across the apps and specialist solutions that are out there for each individual industry, mm. I think then the technologies we are using will be very different. Yeah. And that's also where our point of difference will be then from one accountant to another. What we are doing at the moment as an industry where basically everybody has a similar skill set, I think we'll yep. fracture and we will need to specialise a lot more into industries. Mm. Well, I say to people all the time when I'm talking, like, put your hand up if there's someone in your business that knows 100% of the software, so it's zero or it's class or it's BGL, whatever it is. So who in here is the number one expert that knows every single feature inside and out. Because if there's not someone, then as a business, you're leaving stuff on the table. 
And quite often you, you laugh when you see the new releases and the pop-ups come up and, and everyone just flicks through them. And not very often do we see businesses take the time to understand what the impact of new features are and what they can do to continue to improve. And, and it's therefore the time that practices spend on their business model that they need to be focusing on to continue to invest and take a more agile approach to things because what will happen over time is the technology is growing at such a faster rate. So what we've seen in this year's survey so far is that we can get about 80% efficiency now within about a two or three-year time period. Now, when we did our first survey back in 2014, that was only at 40%. So in that three-year period or four-year period, we've seen the efficiency gains double. Now, I can tell you categorically that has come purely from the technology play, not from organisational change, because the practices that have been a part of this year's survey are still doing the same things that they've been doing for a long time. And if we kept asking the practitioner what we want, it's a bit like the Henry Ford analogy. If we asked them what they want, they'd want faster horses before he decided to design the car. And therefore, we need to continue to understand where technology is taking us, but have that real expertise to be able to leverage. And it's those that are leveraging that, not only understanding what the specific software can do, but then going, well, how does that actually tap into the ecosystem of infrastructure that we need to deliver true client centricity to solutions? And there has been a really big focus on efficiency and everything inside practice about yeah, how do we get better at what we do and be more efficient? And we've kind of lost sight of, well, how does it actually translate to what our clients want? And we've also seen again in, in the survey that not a lot of people are, are keeping data up to date, which means they're not giving their clients online access, which is all about being better in terms of the centricity to their client. And, and that, I think, is a real challenge for practices, as I said before, because we're, we've got this fantastic technology, but we're still doing what we've always done. And it's that preparedness to change is the thing that's setting the practices of the future apart. And I like it that you mentioned the clients because I think the step into the future is a much closer integration with what the clients are doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I th so the ability to understand your client is going to become paramount as we move forward. And that will translate through just being able to use the data, the data that you might have in your business. Um, it might be the data that we can get access to through suppliers like BGL and Class, who would between them have well in excess of a billion transactions in the SMSF space. So you kind of go, well, what, what is all that actually telling us? And so how can we understand what's happening in, in terms of timeframes, in terms of maybe how there's things like self-wealth, which was built to be able to do peer-to-peer -peer investing. So you're actually following what others are doing in making investment mm. decisions yourself. But it could be that it will be more predictive analysis about the right times that people should consider retirement and whether they can live for a particular length of time. And I know you've spoken to Melanie Dunn at Acurum and they've got a fantastic insights report that looks at retirement modelling and so forth. And that's using all the actuarial data that they've got from certificates over a long period of time. And it's that type of intelligence that practitioners really need to leverage into because that is true client centricity because you're adding value back on top of what is fundamentally the core requirements of compliance and so forth too. So understanding what you need from a technology stack is critically important, but focusing on to the absolute nth degree is what is it that we want in our business to be able to serve our clients better.
just to get better understand your background, you you do the Smarter SMSF podcast, you do the Smarter SMSF documentation solution. Is that the core focus of your business? Yeah, yeah. so I've been CPA, um, SMSF specialist, but I've been a practitioner all my life. And I started, this business actually started from a blog, which I actually started writing back in 2009. And that over time really evolved to the point where I was invited to participate in the super system review back in 2010. And there was just opportunities that started to present in terms of education, training and helping people really understand where SMSF was heading. But what we found over the journey was that many people said, well, Aaron, what you're doing is great, but how do we actually do it? And that's where we evolved into providing much more than just training and, and yeah, like I said, evolved into the into the SMSF document suite and really how technology can play a role throughout that entire process. So as a practitioner, as an accountant, I didn't think three or four years ago, if you had have asked me that I'd have web developers and marketing, I've always had this mentality we hide managers, graduate accountants, sort of stuff. But that's a process of me understanding where I wanted to get to, where I wanted the business to get to and being prepared to follow market trends and understand where the strengths actually lie. And in many instances, even in practice, that's what practitioners need to do to understand their strengths, where weaknesses, where their opportunities sit and how they can actually expand based upon the trends that are happening in the marketplace. And, and you know, zero con and all those things are just fantastic opportunities for practitioners to go and absorb themselves and engross themselves in that to look at how they can actually build the business that they need to, to move forward. So did you go to the zero con? No, I've had a full agenda. So I actually was MC of all the BGL RegTech events. So I just finished that and I've got another three trips oh, yeah, around the country are, as well. Because yeah. you're good friends with Ron Lesh, aren't you? Well, I was a BGL client many, many moons ago as well. And I'd been on those roadshows for a long time. So, yeah, so I'd had the, the first two RegTechs. I was invited to be MC of those. And it's just great to be able to see. What does REG stand for? Reg uh, tech? Regulatory technology. I so see. how is how is regulatory compliance being impacted by technology? And and so, looking at so is RegTech a BGL conference or is BGL just no BGL RegTech was BGL's conference. I see. And and very much the same with Class Connect as well. It's about the software is one thing, but what we're seeing over the long term now is the role of what. Other people can do can connect into it. So it's about the ecosystem Mm. to say, well, we need to be able to get our actuarial certificates. We need to be able to get our documents. We need to be able to do our portfolio management. There's a whole range of things that we can do. Therefore, we need the ability for our API to deliver particular things. And that's very much about uh, what the RegTech conference was. We're able to really empower people. And, And you know, our survey, again, there's I think 90% of practitioners that completed that survey are using some form of cloud technology and one in four are now cloud-based businesses. And so that whole conversation, should we move to cloud, it's been buried. So yeah. in the SMSF space, you know, we know that the average now has had about two and a half years of cloud technology. And it goes back to what I was saying a little earlier as well, is that a lot of these practices whilst they've taken on the technology, haven't really looked to do the changes that they need to do. And that comes back to... In terms of business processes. Yeah, in terms of business processes. And for some of them, they're still billing annually. But now they're paying all these fees out every month to zero or to BGL or to class or whatever. So Mm. there's a greater cash drain. Sure, there's an efficiency gain, but have they actually gone through and said, well, by this time we need to do X, 
by this time we need to do Y and we need to get to this mm. stage by two years' time. And we know that implementation across rolling out cloud services and stuff is going to take somewhere between one and two and a half years, again, based on the number of funds from the data that we've seen. But many of them, again, have spoken about the fact that we take on board cloud, it's going to give us the efficiency gains, but they actually haven't seen through the processes. They've continued to do stuff as they need to or as required. So it's a reactive approach to doing work when what's coming up is going to be going to fundamentally need proactive action to be taken. Which business process do you see as the one that is most commonly in need of being changed? I just think the, the way in which the work's being done has to fundamentally change first because even if you're purely in compliance, the fact is, is with a very large component of SMSFs now in pension phase, with the transfer balance cap reporting and the fact that a range of these clients are going to have to report every quarter, practices, if they haven't made changes in their business model, are going to come a cropper. Now, for a period of time, the ATO will take a sympathetic approach because they need to be educative in terms of what needs to be done. But the shoe's going to turn and go on the other foot where they will turn from educator to enforcer And at that point, there'll be some pretty disgruntled trustees if all of a sudden they should have had reporting of information done at particular points in time and it hasn't been done because of the fact that their expectation was that they still needed to do it once a year. I see. So you see the greatest weakness in the current processes is that most accountants still work retroactively, meaning they get to the fund at some stage, but until they get to it, they don't look at it. Yeah. And now with the events based reporting coming in, we really need to look at funds Correct. on a regular basis just to pick up. Yeah, yeah. So so the you know, a lot of practices have, have brought in things like data feeds and so forth, but that's only one part of the puzzle. Sure, we get data feeds, but what are we doing with that data? Is it self-completing transactions or does it require action? What's the process inside a business that deals with the exception reporting that needs to be done? Now, BGL, for example, has just built their artificial intelligence. So that's starting to do some pretty fancy stuff around how automation can be delivered. But again, it's still going to need a level of process over the top of that to ensure that transactions are being mapped and managed and, and dealt with again on the exceptions that it doesn't know. And machine learning over time is going to help that. And that is the next big evolution that we're going to see in this SMSF space that, that is really going to compress compliance fees even further because what is the mundane or the more mundane work here is going to be done by the machines because it's going to be able to look over millions and billions of transactions in essence if we think about how quickly we've seen a group like BGL get to half a billion transactions. It's going to enable the machine to go very accurately. 99 out of 100 transactions have been done. There's only one that needs to be done and you kind of go, well, what else do I need to do? So how am I going to charge my client for the work that needs to be done? And so this is where there's not only the shift is going to have to occur to the way in which services are provided and so forth, but We're going to have to make sure that the timeliness of all that is done properly because we now have, for the first time in more than a decade, the need to have to get that information to the ATO. And the fact that we had a huge negotiation, in essence, with the tax office to give a specific carve-out on transfer balance account reporting, in my view, isn't going to stay around forever. So for SMSFs, we've got an annual piece, we've got a quarterly reporting piece, 
But APRA funds have to do it 10 days after the end of the month. And whilst we negotiated that out initially, over time I can see that that is going to readjust and, and I suspect that might be five years and, and the ATO will re-look at it. And But we're going to have to get better and I think that's going to be a combination of technology continuing to move at such a rapid rate infrastructure in at government level continuing to approve at a rapid rate. So therefore, we as organisations need to make sure we're prepared to change with those as well, or that's where you're going to face challenges and needing to reset, or in some instances, practices won't be able to reset because they're not going to be able to be successful and, and have a model that will be able to compete with what the, the bigger players are doing in the marketplace. What other processes do you see? I guess that one of the big challenges we've seen out of this year's report is it's gone back to the impact of legislative change. There has been a, a shift this year from you know, efficiency gains, pricing, competitiveness and stuff to going back to everyone's just struggled with the reforms, like just the sheer size and volume of it. But we've also got the issue for smaller practices in so far that how do you actually grow? So what do you need to do to try and attract the right client And therefore, how do we put in place processes in our business to enable us to provide the services that they need to? So in our survey, we've, we've found, you know, well, what's the right point where a business needs to move from having SMSS maybe in their general practice to actually building a specialist division within your practice? So we've started to say, well, where's the tipping point in there where we can maybe look to rewire the business? And again, it goes to that evolution in the practice versus saying, well, at what point do we actually look at licensing? So if we've built capacity in our business, do we just grow funds or do we grow the services to be able to support those? And I think that's been one of the biggest problems in the limited licensing framework is that the accounting profession responded to the change when the first iteration of it should have been they needed to respond to their business needs. And what I mean by that is, is that many of them took on board licensing without understanding where they were going to actually find the time to get it done. We knew that technology was going to be an enabler to do that, but they hadn't gone through that process in their business. So what in conversations I've had with many people, they took on board, they did all the education, they got their limited license or they became an authorised representative. And for a lot of them, Within 12 months, they paid a whole bucket load of fees to licensees and some of them hadn't even written one SOA because they just did not have the capacity to do it. And they could go through as much training and education as they can, but if you're busy and you're not prepared to make the changes that you need, you're still going to end up in exactly the same spot. And, and that's why yeah, there's a real opportunity here for practices to have a reset and understand and go, well, where do we want to take our practice? We have a large cohort of the industry that has had cloud-based technology for a couple of years. They should be seeing and leveraging some of the efficiencies. So now is the right time to go, well, look, as we move forward, the biggest opportunities are in strategic advice. How do we now look at that as part of the footprint for our business going forward? And, and they're all the things that you know we're seeing and, and what become absolutely fundamental to what we see as a successful current modern SMSA practice. I don't think the efficiencies, in a way, the efficiencies that are coming out of the software is enormous. When you have bank feeds, when you have data feeds, when you compare to the way it used to be before, yes. then of course the efficiency gains are enormous. But I still think there is room for at least as much, if not more, yep. efficiency gains. Because when I think about it, there's still very, very mundane things yep. that slow 
all of us down. Yeah. At the moment, the software is still very different building blocks. Silos. And it's, yep. Yeah, silos. And it's up to us to kind of board them together yeah. to make it work. I still find that there's a lot of inefficiency in processes. And it's very mundane things like looking up contact details to call your client, yeah. finding a document. It's safe, but you have to open it. You have to read it. You have to see what it says, etc. What each of the providers have done is they've built turnkey solutions for practices that don't have the infrastructure to be able to do that. So there are, Intello is a good example with Chris, where with the 2,500 funds, they've got the ability with the development team and so forth to go, you know what, we can now use APIs to build our own custom dashboard that gives the client everything that they need um, in one window. Now, for the sole practitioner or the business that might be $800,000 worth of revenue, they can't afford the developer, they can't afford this, they can't afford that. But what they can do is that they can have on their website, click here, client logs in, log in, they can see their class client view and it's got all their colour coding and branding and their logo on it. Now, that is light years ahead of where we were only five, six, eight years ago. We've come a long way. So, so therefore, it's about in your business what is enough. And I think at the moment the fact that we've got the ability to use even just turnkey stuff and to the fact that it's not that's not even being used well, but we've got other organisations that are larger that are actually using that and taking themselves a whole way further means that we're going to just be seeing a greater and greater and greater divide in the industry. And that is going to become a challenge because you'll find you'll end up getting practices that'll be using machine learning and they'll be using all the AI. They'll be tapping into a whole heap of resources that they've kept on top of that make them that far more competitive that it becomes really hard for the smaller practice. So right now my view is is regardless of the size, we've got similar infrastructure. Sure, there's, there is extra money that bigger providers can do and there's some greater customization, but there are fantastic turnkey products there that enable us to add value to our clients, but the client will see value out of that. And that's the big thing. At the moment, there's a whole heap of value that's being left on the table. Yes. If you're not prepared to get that value across to your client and have and articulate it to them, then if you lose that client, that's your own bloody fault as far as I'm concerned. You've been empowered to do it. You've been you've enabled yourself to be able to do it, yet you've got current new technology and old process, then you're making a rod for your own back. And there are, so for the businesses that are prepared to make the change, prepared to put in place a strategy, they're the ones that will continue to win in this space. And like I said, for... The small practitioner, this is not about saying the incumbents are coming. It's in it. There's a huge industrialization of the sector. It's saying we're lucky. There's a cohort of professionals in the accounting space in general. We're very lucky that we've got fantastic technology and businesses investing into the technology. It requires a rethink in terms of what we're doing, not only because of technological change, but because legislation changes. We get changes of government. We get regulatory reform we just got to be on top of it. And if we're on top of it and we stay on trend and we iterate in response to that, then you should continue to prosper into the future. But if you're not prepared to do that, then you may be making a road for your own back. We are a newer player in that document. We've had documents for a while, but 
yeah, we've been really trying to push the way in which we can do stuff and it's just man hours and like any small business, yeah, mm. it's just a choice in do you do that or do you do that? Mm. So for us it's... I think the big change with documents is at the moment we are still very paper-based. I mean, I say paper-based, yeah. I mean PDF file, yep. et cetera. Yep. You know, still very much the actual document, which means you still need to save the actual document somewhere. You need to find it again. Yep. You need to open it and read what it says and then yep. do with it. Well, what could potentially happen is is you could see something like a blockchain around a fund. So anything that gets approved into the blockchain is, is in essence an authorised document of the trustees of the fund or, or the particular member in there. So so that could vouch for the verification of the deed. So if you think about case law in blended family situations and the validation of that deed throughout a process, well, you know, there was a recent case called the Rumens case about was, was the most current deed right and the courts actually said before we do anything, we're going to look at the history of these five deeds to work out whether that current one is actually enforced or not. So if you think about going forward, a blockchain could potentially go from day one if there were a series of deeds and, and they were able to be validated as using the blockchain to say, well, that is the most current deed because that is the blockchain for the fund and therefore everything that needs to be done doesn't need to be physically signed, but if it's encrypted through a process that would enable that to work, that's potentially where I could see it going because there are so many ways in which blockchain can be used. And I, I think having a blockchain within a fund's life cycle could absolutely work because it would enable it, information to be shared to, to banks, investments, to ATO, whatever the case may be. We're obviously right at the infancy of all that, but that's the bit that we always need to remain curious about to go, well, actually, well, what, wonder what could happen. And you know, there'll be innovation that happens in the marketplace and over time. I think this is the thing that the technology is happening at such a rapid rate, not just in our industry, not just in the accounting industry and stuff, but just in our lives. And therefore, where we saw change over 10 and 15 years is now becoming three and four years and then could become two years and so it's it's scary <laughs> you know what could happen so to kind of go well you know that could never happen my mind is trying to stay as far more curious than it ever has been before to go well actually what what are some of the possibilities and you know, having developers and stuff in the business now as well I can never ask the question can I do this it's like how do I do it that's a mentality that people in practice need to do as well because there's, there's arguably always a way now. It's just how do you get in contact with the right people to actually make it happen. Welcome back. Gazing into the future is fun and safe because nobody can prove you wrong. But looking into the future is also important to plan and adapt in the next episode, episode 71, Adrian Bailey of Cleary Hall in Sydney will talk about the new basic conditions for small business CGT concessions that will apply when shares or units are part of the transaction. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.